And good morning, all souls. Strange, strange Sunday this morning, but a good one. This morning, uh, you were supposed to hear a sermon from the Reverend Deacon Glenda McDowell, and this was going to be a powerful sermon. I had been talking with our Deacon Glenda for about two weeks about what she was going to be saying this morning. And as I heard bits and pieces, and as I heard more and more about her experiences as a black woman living in the city of Asheville, and what this holiday meant to her, I was buzzing with excitement. The Spirit was brewing something special for Juneteenth, and we were so ready. And then this past week, nearly half of our cathedral staff tested positive for COVID-19, including our interim dean, Perrin Radley. And so you will not be hearing from Glinda as we had planned. And for the first time in as long as I can remember, we will not have music at the 1115 service. So that leaves me. Don't worry, I've been testing every day since Thursday. I'm negative. Um, But that leaves me and the Holy Spirit and my friend Joan Grant. And we are so thankful you're here. And I got to say, as I look at Juneteenth and these readings... I feel wholly unqualified to speak on this Juneteenth holiday, and I have been wondering what can I, a privileged white male from the South, offer on Juneteenth? It is times like this when I am thankful to stand with the words of Christ, with the power of the Holy Spirit, and with the examples of the gospel. Today we celebrate Juneteenth. And this is a holiday celebrated on the 19th of June to commemorate the emancipation of enslaved peoples in the United States of America. We remember today that moment when federal troops arrived in Galveston, Texas in 1865 to announce that all enslaved people are free. And we lament the fact that this announcement came two and a half years after the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation. Two and a half years Nevertheless, this was a moment, a big moment, a moment captured by this artwork featured here this morning by our Asheville artist friend, Jasmine Washington, whom we welcomed to the cathedral a few months ago. We held a a series of talks called Asheville Voices, and Jasmine Washington, a recent graduate from UNCA, came and talked to us about her artwork, and we proudly display it today. I invite you to come look at it after the service. But as you can see, In this artwork, and as what we celebrate today, the chains of bondage were broken that day in June 1865. The course of history was altered. But as we will see in the sermon to come, demons come in a variety of forms, a legion of faces. And as one form of slavery ended that day in June 1865, another face of white supremacy, another form of slavery reared its ugly head. The author, Ralph Ellison, wrote it best in his book, Juneteenth. Words of emancipation didn't arrive until the middle of June, so they called it Juneteenth, Ellison wrote. So that was it. The night of Juneteenth, it was a big celebration. The celebration of a gaudy illusion. A gaudy illusion. I've been captured this week by the history of Juneteenth, by the history of this holiday, the people who have lived through it and the heroes who have lived through the struggle of that gaudy illusion ever since. 
one of those heroes is named Opal Lee. Some of you may have heard about her lately or read about her on the news. Opal Lee is a 94-year-old black woman from Fort Worth, Texas. And in 2016, at the chipper age of 89, Lee pledged to walk from her home in the Lone Star State all the way to Washington, D.C., in an effort to make Juneteenth a federal holiday. And so, Lee walked, and she walked, and she walked, and she walked some more, one foot in front of the other, two and a half miles every day. Two and a half miles, representing the two and a half years it took for that news to spread to Galveston, Texas. Little by little, Opal Lee made progress. And along the way, she gained over one million signatures for her petition to make Juneteenth a federal holiday. And last year, as Joe Biden signed in this federal holiday, turned it into law, Opal Lee sat at his right side as he signed the bill, and she was given the pin. Step by step, little by little, Opal Lee made a difference. I heard about Lee in a story on NPR this week, and while her story is captivating and inspiring, it was something that she said on the radio this past week that made me stop and think. Lee said that while the struggle to make Juneteenth a federal holiday was complete, the specter of slavery is still fixed on black Americans. She said, as long as there is rampant homelessness, child hunger, health care for some and none for others, as long as there are for-profit prisons which house predominantly black African-American men, not to mention the countless fathers that we celebrate on this Father's Day. She said, as long as there are police officers that target African-Americans more than white Americans, then slavery in some form or another still lives on. According to Opal Lee, the work is not yet done. Juneteenth, though enshrined in our federal calendars, remains that gaudy illusion that Ellison wrote about all those years ago. This evil has just taken on a new face. Now you might be asking yourself, where is the gospel in the celebration of today? Today's gospel passage from Luke comes across at first glance like your typical healing story of Jesus. However, I think upon closer inspection, there's much more going on under the surface of the scripture passage today. More subtly, more subtly, and more notably on this Juneteenth service, today's story reveals Jesus as one with cosmic authority, one who is able to free people from powers that enslave and occupy, and one who is able to liberate people from the chains of empire once and for all. If there was ever a passage for Juneteenth, I think it would be this one. And I say that because I believe this story can be construed less about healing and miracles and more about overcoming political oppression and violence. Why do I say that? I want you to take a look at the demon's name in the story today in the gospel. This demon's name is Legion. And Legion is a very interesting name. For one, it implies that there are multiple demons operating within this one person. But secondly, the name of this demon carries with it the weight of the political struggle going on in the ancient world at the time of Jesus, the struggle between Israel and the occupying force of the Roman Empire. 
for people living in the ancient world, legion had only one meaning, a literal meaning, a unit of approximately 6,000 Roman soldiers. This demon, it represents oppression, ruthlessness, and the violence of empire. But it doesn't stop there. I think if we look at the, the words that Luke uses in this gospel, we can tell even more that this is actually more about underscoring institutional violence than it is about miracles. Luke's word choices in this passage underscore that legion is symbolic of empire. For example, when the possessed man confronts Jesus this morning, Luke, the gospel writer, uses a verb that he uses in chapter 14 of this gospel when he's describing an army meeting in battle. He uses the word seize, that verb, seize. He seizes the man. And this is the same verb that the gospel author used in the book of Acts when Christians are arrested and brought to trial by the authorities. That seizure. Furthermore, the words for the hands and the foot chains, for the binding and guarding, are the same ones that Luke uses in Acts when disciples are imprisoned by the authorities. These are subtle clues, but they're powerful ones. They point to this being one of institutional violence in an empire. So to sum it up, the language, the verbs, the name of this demon, heck, even the tattered and roughed up appearance of the possessed man evokes the experience of living under a brutal occupational power. A brutal occupying power. This is legion. This is a multitude of evil embodied by impressive empire, championed by the state. And legion is old, old as time. I imagine legion was there with Satan tempting Jesus on the mountaintop. I imagine legion was there with Satan tempting Judas, offering him silver for blood. I imagine Legion was there when Europeans began enslaving, subjugating people of color for the very first time. And I imagine he was there on each and every transatlantic slave route. Legion. He has played a part in American history, in American slavery, and though he may have let out an ugly cry on that day in Juneteenth back in 1865, the gaudy illusion persists, and we still don't have freedom. Legion lurks here still, in the vestiges of Jim Crow, in police brutality, in the deaths of men and women like George Floyd and Michael Brown and Breonna Taylor. So what do we do with that information? What do we do now, now that we have a name for this demon, now that we know how it operates, how it takes on many forms, what do we do now that we know that it can take on the face of empire, the face of government, the face of America? I think of Opal Lee. On that same NPR story I heard this past week, Opal Lee shared that she remembered how a group of white supremacists one day burnt down her childhood home. It was a public shaming, a direct threat to her and her family to get out of the neighborhood. She was 12 years old. And I think about that house and about Opal Lee watching it from afar as flames destroyed her home. And I think about her perhaps walking through those charred remains, picking up the items she once loved, toys that she once played with. And I think about her footsteps, not through the burnt down house, 
but the ones that led from her home in Fort Worth to Washington, D.C. 2.5 miles at a time. One small step in front of the other. One small step at a time. Like Opal, we will encounter demons in this Christian journey. Our journey for liberation, our journey for equality, our journey for peace. And in our way of that, there will always be a legion in one of its various forms. And in its wake, it will always leave a person possessed, ravaged by the demon, oppressed, isolated, seemingly insane. And there will always be people who are uncomfortable when those people are healed. But we must not let the possibility of fire stop our pursuit of freedom. We will not let the threat of oppression and violence and empire shake us from our course. We have come so far, and we have so far yet to go. But we walk with Jesus. We walk with faith, and we walk along prophets like Opal Lee. One small step at a time, one small step in front of the other, with the promise that this gaudy illusion of Juneteenth will one day become the beautiful dream that God planned for this world when he first bore us from the ground. Amen.